0: We'll begin by reading our text together. This is the Word of God. The Bible says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, Thus far, the reading of God's word. There's an incredibly important question in this text of Scripture that all of us actually are faced with. In this life, the question for us is, is doing the right thing the most important thing? Or is it also important to do the right thing for the right reasons as well? And if the right thing is actually done for the wrong reason does that make that a bad thing this is a critical question in the culture that we live in today especially a culture that likes to teach us that it's about getting the job done not about the person who is doing the job or what they mean by doing it the question is can they get the job done we're results oriented here in north america now We, if we were to look at that, have to ask ourselves the question then, okay, if the object of the game is simply to get the results done, to increase the profits of your business, or to make sure that your company is stable, is it then right, for example, for you to have your business donate to solve the problem of world hunger, knowing very well that you can improve public perception by your donation and thus ultimately increase your profit line? if that was the motivation behind why you chose to donate it to charity does that sully it and make it a bad thing does it matter why you do what you do or does it only matter what you do that is the question actually for us today that jesus is addressing i think most of us without actually having thought through this very carefully have some sense that if for some reason you are gaining some sort of personal benefit from your charitable or uh, donations or humanitarian work, there seems to be something that's fishy about that. You can actually see this when we look at some of the greatest donors actually in our world today. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, who's the founder of Facebook uh, five years ago, was known for writing an open letter to his new daughter, Max, alongside his wife. And in this letter that was public, they pledged basically to donate 99% of their wealth from Facebook, their shares, basically to a new Zuckerberg Chan initiative that would help solve the problems of education, hunger, curing diseases, and basically connecting people to build a much better world, a better community, Now, Zuckerberg's initiative really did not go unnoticed by the world, and a number of journalists actually looking at what he was doing piled in and offered their opinions on his work there. Number of them noted that the initiative that he was starting actually was not a charity, but the Zuckerberg uh, Chan initiative is not even a foundation. It's a limited liability company. And one of the things they noted is that a limited liability company can invest in for-profit companies. It does not need to disclose the salaries of its top five executives and it can make donations to political organizations. Now, there are a number of good reasons that Mark Zuckerberg talked about as to why he would structure his charitable giving basically in this way, not as a charity, but as a as a limited liability company. But as you can see, no matter how you look at it, even if there are good reasons for organizing it this way, the point is that even in philanthropy, The giving and doing of humanitarian work in our society, there is a sense that it's very hard to escape from having personal benefit and also this idea of still having control of the things that you would use for social good. You know, there's a political theorist out in the States named Dr. Rob Reich who works at Stanford and has tried actually to raise awareness on this phenomenon that is occurring now in North America. The rise basically of the billionaire philanthropist, a new thing in the modern society. He wrote a book that was called Just Giving, Why Philanthropy is Failing Democracy and How It Can Do Better. Really fascinating. In the introduction of his book, as I was reading it, he notes this. He basically notes that large-scale charitable giving is actually a potential threat to democracy and that we should actually be very careful when billionaires are willing to give away a lot of their money and their fortunes. He writes this basically and asserts that charitable giving can actually, he says, be an exercise of power a veiled attempt to change public policy or sway public opinion. In fact, what it does is that the creation of an incredibly huge foundation results in big tax benefits for these wealthy people and also gives them the power to create social benefits that they personally prefer at the time they choose, resulting in social inequality as people feel obligated to bend over backwards actually to accommodate them and to praise them for the work that they have done. Now, today in our world we don't think very much actually about this not in the way that people used to think in the past it's very popular simply today to just go on social media and praise all these things without thinking through perhaps some of the consequences of this it wasn't always so if you go back just a hundred years ago to 1909 when jd rockefeller who was basically the world's richest man at the time proposed to create the rockefeller foundation it was actually opposed by the u.s president of the time president taft and then also later uh former president Uh, roosevelt due to deep concerns that they had as well as the senate of the united states government concerning the morality of how his money was acquired and also the danger that such a huge foundation could have in terms of influencing society see if a person is using their charity to do good but quietly increasing their influence over society and increasing their control basically even over a government or officials You and I actually would do right to be very repulsed by it because we would understand why because it's not ultimately about the goodwill and the things that are being done. But there is a hidden agenda there a mixed motive actually which seems to render the whole thing somewhat impure and we will look at that and say I don't like it. It sounds fishy and there seems to be strings attached to this gift. This is a Trojan horse. This is the difficulty that we run into today is philanthropy today truly about the good of man or is there something else in it as well that the human heart which is sinful loves to inject and to make it about me you know chuck feeney is an example of a multi-billionaire who has been quite different from a number of these men in that he has given away secretly his fortune of over eight billion dollars over the course of his life and he frugally lives off of some two million dollars that he has left tiny fraction of his original wealth in fact he created his original foundation in secret you know, basically giving in all away, and if you were to receive funds from them, you were not allowed to disclose to other people your basically the source of your funds and so on. Basically, at the end of this year, 2020, Chuck Feeney's foundation is closing, having given away all of their money, and that's it. Feeney has been an advocate for what he calls "giving while living," saying that billionaires don't just hoard all their money, but they actually should use it for social good. Now, if you were to ask me, Feeney is not a Christian. What well, I would say in some sense, listening to his story and, and reading about him, his goals and his philanthropy sounds a lot more noble than some of the other billionaires who have contributed to society. It makes it seem like as we look at his story, that it really was less about him and the personal benefits he would reap from it than rather than some of the other people who are doing it. It was about his mission that he was devoted to, giving while living. Now, all this to say why I bring this up is because this is a live issue in our society today, and it affects you and I. We may not have billions as well, but the heart is still the same. Does not the same sinful heart that loves its own praise and its glory live inside of us? It doesn't matter whether you're Chuck Feeney and you have $8 billion to your name, or you're a student here that has nothing but $800 to your name. The same heart lives inside of you, and the question is, with what you have, Do you use it for the glory of God or is there a personal agenda behind the things that you do that is about drawing glory and praise to yourself? See, the question that we need to ask today for us as Christians in light of what Jesus has just taught here in this text is, does it matter why and how you give or does it only matter that you do give? Is there a right way and is there a wrong way to give? And to answer that question, let us go through our text let's begin by looking at verses one to two together in our in the scriptures we'll read we'll it, and look at this and see if we can get some answers from what we have here let me read the text again verses one to two beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do In the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others, right? Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, if you've been following our series through this Sermon on the Mount and the Gospel of Matthew here, you'll know that Jesus has been highlighting over and over again the problem with the Pharisees. And that is, on the outside, they look nice and clean, but on the inside, they are rotten. They are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. They are like cups that are clean on the outside but dirty on the inside. They do things for the praise of other people, but with regards to inner righteousness, they are not interested in the praise of God. And Jesus warns about that, about this, specifically in chapter six, verses one to eighteen, that this shows up in three very specific ways: fasting, and in prayer, and in giving. All these things done outwardly to curry the favor of men and not actually done in secret uh, to please God. And if Jesus is pointing out here that if this is you and this is how you use these three things, these three practices that are meant to be directed towards God for his glory and his praise, what you're actually doing, he says, is you are using God actually to impress other people and therefore you will have no heavenly reward. You already have your reward if you're desiring the praise of people. Now, why this is so interesting is that you actually see this occur numerous times in the scriptures. For example, when you look at Acts chapter 4, verses and Acts chapter 4 to chapter 5, and you look at the rise of the early church, you see that the early church was an incredible phenomenon. People who were moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ were literally giving themselves over in service to the Lord. The text of Scripture says that they sold homes, they sold their properties, and took the money that they had and gave it, actually laying it at the feet of the apostles for the work of the ministry. Now, the Scriptures also record there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And because of the immense social pressure that existed in the church, basically to give it all away, they too felt compelled to give it all away, just that they didn't really want to give it all away. So they hatched a plan in the scripture that is to sell the property that they have and to take only a portion of that money and place it at the apostles' feet. And then to say, yes, we sold it all for this much. And as they did that, actually, the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter told them, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. You are dishonest before God. You didn't have to do this, but all you were doing with this was you were trying to give the impression that you are great and you were generous when in fact you were actually greedy. And as punishment and discipline from the Lord, they were struck down dead and they were carried out there of the church community. See, in other words, they were frauds. They were frauds who tried to use the religious affections of other people, trying to curry the praise of other people for their seemingly good actions while actually hiding their deception that was hidden deep inside of their souls. See, do you realize how deep corrupting and corrupting sin, how deeply hidden and how corrupting sin is, that it can take even good things like giving in the name of the Lord Jesus and want to twist such things for your own personal benefit. You know, it's terrible. You see, our motives actually do matter. Don't think that just because you come to the church or you call yourself a Christian that you are immune to this sort of thing. No, there are always, always, we must always be on guard for the mixed motives that exist in our soul. Now, when it comes to motives, you know, that exist in our own soul, often we aren't aware of these things. We just do them, and we try not hard to not think about them because we're guilty or because it makes us feel bad. But I want to talk about two common motives that actually exist in the human heart that go against, I think, what God wants us to do, especially when it comes to giving. The first wrong motive, I think, for giving is simple duty and obligation, okay? How this usually works is that you don't actually want to give, You don't want to be generous, but you actually have to because your circumstances demand that you have to. So what you do is you put a smile on your face while you wear a grimace in your heart and you just give hope and that people don't realize what's going on inside of you. But you can actually see how how ungrateful you are and how you don't want to give, actually. And it comes out maybe in your home or with family members or with close friends as you grumble to them about those people you are forced to give to. You know, the sibling or the aunt or the uncle that always comes to you for money. Why can't they be more independent? Why do they have to keep coming to me? Am I an ATM? And you grumble and you complain about that. And the only reason you give is because you feel some sort of pressure, some social pressure to do it. And so you feel, suck it up. I just need to be able to do this. But the real question in the heart is, is this actually pleasing to God or is this actually dishonoring to him? So you imagine a man who on his wedding anniversary buys flowers for his wife and he comes to his wife and he says, honey, I have some flowers for you today. And his wife looks at him and says, that is really sweet. Thank you for remembering our anniversary and bringing these, my flowers. They're the kind that I really, really love." And then she opens up her phone, which has a new app, probably hasn't developed yet, you know, a futuristic phone app, that can read the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And she just wants to read a bit more about what her husband actually thinks in her heart. She presses the app and clicks play. And the app speaks her husband's unspoken thoughts, and his thoughts say to him, Smart move, boy. North American custom demands that you do this pointless activity. Now that she's happy, you won't have to miss tonight's hockey game nor will you have to sleep on the couch. Just remember, winter is cold. If you had access to that kind of an app and you could hear it speaking to you, how would you feel as a wife? Would it change the way that you look at the act of giving those flowers? I'm going to bet that if you are sane, it would. It would completely cast that act of giving in a completely different life. Why? Why? Because it's not just about the gift. It's the motives that actually matter. See, nobody wants to receive a gift because somebody else was forced to give it to them or because another person did it so that they could gain a primary benefit for themselves. That kind of duty and obligation is ultimately dishonoring. And if it's dishonoring to the person that you give it to, how much more so do you think it's dishonoring before God to claim to do things in His name when you actually really don't want to do it at all? See, it's problematic because the true gift in giving is not just a gift itself, but true giving involves giving of yourself, you see, as well. Paul says it very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? He says this, If I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love... I gain nothing. In other words, sacrificing yourself just because you have to, and not because you want to or love to makes your sacrifice worthless. You know, the Bible is clear and it affirms something that we all know actually to be true. It's not just about the gift, but it's the goal of the giver as well. You know there's another kind of giving okay first one was duty and obligation there's another kind of giving that is also dishonoring and that is the giving that is linked to self-glory now in this type of giving you are moved you give not because you're deeply moved by the plight of the people who you're going to give the gift to but you give actually because you want the social benefits that actually come from having a generous or perceived generous disposition for example, in the Asian community, there's a very common practice that some of you might have seen that goes with fighting over the bill at a restaurant. And for those of you who are Asian kids and you are grown, you grew up here and you understand exactly what this is, for those of you who don't know, let me explain. So all of us who have grown up with this understand how this works firsthand. When the bill arrives after you've had a meal with family or friends or somewhere at the restaurant, it is obligatory for either your dad or the head of the home or somebody in your family to go and grab the bill. And it's also obligatory for the other family basically to say, oh no, 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 please, we are going to pay the bill. And then your and then your mom or your dad says, no, 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 we'll we'll pay for it. And this goes back and forth, usually customarily about three times, you know, before before it's done. It can go longer or shorter, depending on, on, on the people that are involved, how well you know each other. But there it has to have a back and forth at this point. Now if you lose after three rounds and you still want to save face, there are multiple ways to try to still win this, uh, win this game. You can, for example, excuse yourself to go to the bathroom. And as you go to the bathroom, what you do is you just happen to stop by the cash register and you pay the bill quickly before the other party who has the bill in their hand is able to do so. And thus, you win, actually, the thing. If the other family is smart and does not allow you to leave the table, there are other ways that you can do it, is that you can take your cash, wads of cash, and you can stuff it into the pockets of their children as they're going out the door, okay? And so in this way, you also win, you know? Uh, So there's there's numerous ways that families have invented, basically, to do this thing, to get finally, who gets the last say with regards to paying the bill. Now, I thought myself, having seen this many times and having long philosophical discussions with my Asian friends as to why this phenomenon occurs and what it means, I've come to a couple of reasons as to why this actually occurs. And it shows something about the human heart. It really is to make a show in many cases. Because the one who pays is regarded either as the wealthiest, the most generous, or perhaps the most successful as well. See, in, in many cases, it's actually not about serving others, but it's actually about serving yourself. You want other people to think that you're generous, even if you're actually not. I remember the story actually of one kid who not understanding the intricacies of adult life thinking and watching his mom and his aunt go back and forth about the bill, got a bright idea into his head, basically, and as his aunt took the bill, he went around behind her, basically stole the bill from her, went back to his mom, and proudly presented the bill to his mom and said, I got it, here you can pay. And his mom's face froze at this point and said, okay. And she smiled and she paid the bill. And then later at home, she lectured her son, explaining to him that he had actually ruined the turn-taking system that she and her aunt had so that neither one of them really ultimately had to foot the bill. See, as a 10 year old boy, he had no idea that the whole thing was for show. And that ultimately, though she fought for wanting to have the bill, she actually didn't want to pay that bill. It was always 50 50. You just had to at least give the good impression as a good Asian person that you're always willing to be generous, even if you're not. Now, when I look at this and I think about it as Christians, you know, as Asian Christians, if this is part of your home, part of your life, I would say you have to be really careful here and that you actually can't behave like this. Yes, there is politeness, and I think we should actually try to be generous when we're at restaurants and with other people as well. But what we have to understand is the Bible clearly teaches us our yes must be yes and our no must be no. If you have no intention of being generous and not wanting to pay that bill, or if you're going to grumble in your heart afterward, you have won the ability to pay that bill, you shouldn't give. You shouldn't do that because it's duplicitous. You should not in your heart want to only give to give the impression that you are something that you are not. That is the height of hypocrisy. To say one thing with your lips and to do another thing in your heart is deceptive and to follow your father, follow the father of lies who is the devil himself and not your father who is in heaven who is known for truth. If you're an Asian Christian who is listening to this, I would just urge you to think very carefully. And if this is you also in other cultures, or you realize that the application also goes broader in this, that you want to present an image of yourself to people that you are generous when you are not, this applies to you as well. What is your real heart motivation behind giving and doing the things that you do? Am I giving because it's my joy to do so, or is it because I want other people to think I'm a generous person? You know, hypocritical giving that Jesus highlights in verse 2, and he says, like, blowing your own trumpet, or we would say tooting your own horn, really is to acquire the praise of other people. And it has no reward whatsoever, Jesus says. You know, the Greek word that's used here, "hypocrites," which is the word that we translate as hypocrite here, actually is an old Greek word that back in the day used to refer to actors who wore masks over their face. And you put on this mask literally to show what character that you were playing because the character was different from who you actually were. Now, I think by Jesus' time, this word had sort of fallen out from that sort of usage. It didn't really mean actor anymore, but it referred to a a person metaphorically who was duplicitous, like they really were wearing a mask over their face. And you and I can understand that. We understand what it's like to look at people who wear a mask over their face and practice hypocrisy. They're not what they present themselves to be. So, for example, an individual who talks about love, generosity, and kindness and then goes out on the street and is cruel and mean to people who are strangers as well as his own family, we would look at that and we'd say, you're an absolute hypocrite. You talk about love and peace and kindness and stuff, but look at how you behave. That kind of hypocrite is very easy often to spot because their sins are public and you can see them. But there's also another kind of hypocrite as well, which Jesus speaks about. And that is the person who is actually on the outside, kind to their family, gracious to everyone they meet, You know, they love small children, they never seem to be flustered by a thing, and everybody speaks highly of them. And yet, in their heart of hearts, the place that only God sees, they resent what they do, and they only do it because they want the praise from other people or due to social pressure. Jesus says that is also hypocrisy and just as damnable. See hypocrisy his hypocrisy is not just that your outward actions are bad and your uh, is that your outward actions are bad and while you say one thing with your lips hypocrisy is that your outward actions can be completely good while the inner motivations of the heart are wicked We don't talk a lot about that second kind as well but God sees the heart and he knows Hypocrisy occurs when there's any sort of mismatch between what you say that you're going to do and what you actually believe inside of your heart your actions must match up. When Jesus calls us in Matthew 5, 48 and says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's not, as we looked at last week, talking about sinless perfection. What he is saying is that you must be a complete disciple whose insides and outsides are congruence. There must be no discrepancy between the two. That's what it means to be a mature and a complete and a perfect person. See, Jesus, let me be clear, is not against giving. Giving is very well entrenched in the Old Testament law. The whole of the law talks about giving and being generous, making sure that the poor always have something. In fact, in Judaism of the time, if you look at the Jewish writings and you read the Mishnah, the Mishnah says this, by three things in the, is the world sustained, by the law, by temple service, and by acts of generosity. So really for the Jews, they had a very high view of giving, saying that up there with temple worship is giving. It was practiced in their society. There was no question about that. So the question is, what exactly is Jesus against? And as we just saw in verse 2, he's against giving so that you can get praise from other people. He's against the motives of the heart that corrupt actually the good act of giving. You know, what's interesting here in this text is that the word that's used here to describe the praise from other people is the Greek word doxazo, And it's the same word that we actually saw earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that's used in Matthew 5, verse 16. Matthew 5.16 comes from that famous passage about salt and light. And then afterwards, it says this, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, it says, your good works and give glory, doxazo, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the word that's translated as praise here in our text, 6.2, is the same one that's found in 5.16 that means glory. So in other words, so that people give glory to you because of your good giving, See, do you realize what the issue here that Jesus is taking up? The issue, right, is not actually about giving. The issue here is actually about stealing. What I mean by that, it's about stealing the glory and praise that is due to God alone for even the good things that should do. See, Jesus says that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And the goal of the disciples' life is to live in such a way that so that when people see these actions, they say, you must have a great God. Who is your God? I want to see this God that you do good works in the name of, and I want to worship Him too. That's how the Christian life is to function. The Christian life is to say, I want to be here, but I'm just a mirror reflecting you to the greater glory of the Son. Look at God and glorify Him. That's how we're supposed to live as Christians. And when we do our acts of giving so in such a way that people praise us and we enjoy it, we are thieves of the worst kind. We are not ultimately givers at that point, but we are thieves who steal the glory that is due to God alone. See, there's no question that men like Mark Zuckerberg, Charles Fe- Chuck Feeney, and others can do great things with their foundations. But the truth is, if you understand the Scriptures, no good work is any good work in the ultimate sense if it does not lead people to ultimately glorify God building an orphanage that causes other people to praise your heart and your philanthropy and your greatness while not giving anything to god is to rob god of the glory that he is due for he is the one who has given you your talent your ingenuity and even the ability to do such magnificent things this is actually an act of divine robbery and this is why it is not possible for people who do not believe in god or people who do good things and yet receive the things for themselves and don't direct it to God, this is why it's not possible for them to ultimately do good things. Can they do good things in a temporal sense? Yes, but not in an ultimately good sense. In the eyes of God, this will not save you. Because as a billionaire, you fail to acknowledge the one who has given you your life, your wealth, your skill, everything that you have. So the question for us remains then is, okay, if the point of giving then is ultimately for God, how are we supposed to give what what are some things that will help us understand what to do look with me as we call in verses three and four the text says this but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you now now we have to ask the question at this point is, what exactly does this mean I don't think it means, as one commentator said, that basically that Jesus is saying that when you give, you literally should use one hand only when you're giving because two hands was more conspicuous in those days, and therefore you should use only one hand. I don't think that's what he was getting at, quite literally. I don't think that's correct. I think that Jesus speaking here in the context of the Sermon on the Mount is speaking hyperbolically to make a point. And that is, look, your left hand and your right hand always know what the other hand is doing because they're attached to your body, the same body. But for those of us who are part of the same body or have friends who are close to us and stuff that are as close to us as our left hand or as our right hand, I don't care whether that's your church family, your actual family, or your best friends, or some girl you're trying to impress, it doesn't matter, or religious people who appraise you for your good. The point is, you should take real care to not let an individual who is that close to you you know not give in such a way that individuals who are really close to you are drawn to that and you use that actually to pump yourself up to show your generosity to the few people whom it really matters to the point is don't try to impress those who are close in your social circle and are most likely to actually give you praise don't use godliness or the things of giving your the work that god places on your heart to don't use that to curry their favor give quietly give in secret Now, now let me, I don't think this means that every time you are going to make a donation from now on, you need to make an anonymous cash donation or to make your handwriting so bad in your check that, you know, you can't actually read it, okay? I don't think that's the point here. The point is, if you're going to serve somebody, give somebody, take care of kids in this church or with friends, do something good, and somebody asks you where you're going You don't need to think oh boy if i say where i'm actually going right now i'm going to lose my heavenly reward okay so therefore i need to lie to them now and tell them that i'm I'm just going out actually to water the plants you know i mean again again don't do that or i'm getting a haircut don't don't think like that's not the point the point is yeah just be honest do good in jesus name but watch your heart really really carefully here look at even the people around you that you wouldn't mind actually them thinking that you're generous or really good with your time or giving this and say god I know they're like my left hand and my right hand. But help me to even in this, when this temptation comes to me, to remember it's not about them. It's not about me curing faith with them. Let me me just give out of reverence and honor to you. And you who see in secret what nobody else sees, God, you are my ultimate reward. I know you will reward me. And that is enough for me. The point is, don't try to use even your piousness to impress others. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones is the great Welsh preacher. He told a story actually about how uh, there was a lady in, uh, around his church, basically, who declared she wanted to start a new ministry, and she was absolutely adamant that this ministry would be done fully on faith. She was not going to raise support. She didn't believe in support, and so on, all these things. And she asked him to preach at this inauguration, and so he did. And then halfway during the thing, during the announcement section, she gets up, And she begins explaining to people that this whole ministry is going to be run on faith. There was going to be no collections. There'll be no sort of offerings, this sort of thing. There'll be no uh, advertising, no campaigning, whatsoever. She goes on for 10 minutes. And Lloyd-Jones, sitting back, looks at it, and he says, you know what? I thought it was the most effective appeal for funds that I had ever heard. Now, he writes, he said, I didn't think she was dishonest, but perhaps she was just afraid as well. And her subconscious and the motives of her heart drove her actually to appeal to people by saying she wasn't appealing to people. And you all know how this works, right? When people praise you and, you and they say, oh, you're such a good mom. It's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not actually a great mom. It's like, yeah, but I really am a great mom, right? And you, just, you, know, you do this, right? Because we know it's not socially acceptable to tell people, like, yeah, I'm the best mom in the world. <laughs> you know, I make you look bad, right? You know, you don't, you don't say stuff like that. So there's some politeness about you. you we, we're wicked enough. We know how to hide what we're actually thinking in our hearts. And Jesus even points out, that's a problem. Just because you deny something doesn't mean you actually deny it in your heart. Here's the point. The heart is so deceitful, it can even use your denials. The assertions that you don't want praise from people to hide the fact and collect praise from others, okay? It doesn't mean that you should only do things that nobody else sees. And that if somebody else does see it, that you should stop doing what you're doing. The point is, look in your heart deeply. Does your inside match your outside? What are your motivations for giving? Is it about God or is it about other people? If those are the wrong reasons for giving, what are the right reasons for giving? I think the last half of verse 4 gives us a, a, a strong hint and a clue. Last part says, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this is really important. Do you see how Jesus argues here? How does he motivate right giving? Notice that he doesn't say, Give, because it's your duty to give, or even that it's the right thing to do. He says, give in secret, because your Father will reward you. Now, this requires some explanation and thinking, because normally speaking, most of us think and feel, is that wrong? Is that even right? Shouldn't you do something because it's right to do, not Be motivated by getting a reward. Doesn't that kind of take away the goodness from that? Question for us, is it wrong to appeal to rewards, to motivate the right thing to do? I think in this case, actually, he's talking about future heavenly rewards. He's not talking, I think, primarily about material rewards here. But I think this is what the Bible actually does over and over again, and it comes straight from the lips of Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Paul quoting Jesus says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 30, Jesus speaking here again says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's nobody who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So he points forward again. Yes, there's some blessing here, but he points forward. Or Luke 12, 33 to 34. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide for yourself money bags that don't grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is very interested in you being Rich. It's just that he points to the future—a richness that's not in material things, but is spiritual, in the place where God is. So, question: Why is this not wrong? Why is this not wrong for him to motivate us with the future promise of heavenly reward? Imagine this once again. Go back to the husband buying flowers for his wife. Okay, and this time he gets it right. Okay, and and and, and he says. Honey, here some flowers that I bought here for the anniversary. And she says, that is so sweet of you. You didn't have to. And then he says, you're right. I didn't have to. But apart from Jesus, you are my greatest treasure. And it makes me so incredibly happy to see that you are happy. It's my joy to do that for you. Now, what would any wife say to those words? I'll tell you what she won't say. She won't say, whoa, hold it right there, buddy. You gave me flowers so that you could be incredibly happy? You are so selfish, always thinking about yourself. You bought those for me so that you could be incredibly happy? Take those outside right now and dump them in the dumpster. You should have said that you did this because it was your duty to do it. honest, I don't think any sane wife would say that. question is why? Why do you know that intuitively to be true? Why is that not selfishness? Why can she not accuse a husband for that? I'm sure she would be melted actually by that generous affection from her husband. I think C.S. Lewis nails it actually in his book as he reflects on this very problem relating rewards to our personal benefit. In The Weight of Glory, he says this, We must not be troubled by unbelievers when they say that this promise of reward makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. There are different kinds of rewards. There is the reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it. And it's quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany those things. Money, he says, is not the natural reward of love. That's why we call a man a mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage is the proper reward for a real lover, and he is not a mercenary for desiring it. The proper rewards are not simply tacked onto the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in its consummation. So in other words, in a nutshell, what he's saying here is that the joy that you get from giving your spouse something and loving her, what you get out of that is you get her. And that is the right and natural reward for serving her. If you got her money, that would be very different. That's an unnatural reward to have. So the natural reward of acts of love is to receive that which you love. And this makes so much sense when you read the scriptures and you read like the psalmist speaking in Psalm 16. And he says, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is pleasures forevermore. At your right hand. See that for for Christians, the joy of heaven is not just there's gold and streets of gold and a tree of life and all those things, but it says that the Lord God Himself will be our God. We will see his face. We will see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. We will live with the one who loved us and died for us on the cross. And we will be united with him, never to be parted forever. We will finally see the one whom our soul has longed for and will never be separated from again. That is the joy that we have as Christians. See, it is not wrong for us to do good works in secret for our God for the express purpose of having the reward being to receive our God Himself one day when we see Him in His heavenly kingdom. But we stand there before the Ancient of Days and look at the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. That is the natural and fitting and right reward for our service to Him. Amen? does things to please his wife because he loves her and his joy and his and his joy and his happiness is complete when they are together and so it is for the christian as well there is nothing mercenary or selfish to want the pleasure of god himself as we serve in his name it is the natural reward actually for our activity that is how you can serve God in dreary places where nobody sees because you understand that no, even if you have no audience before you, you always are before an audience of one. That is God. You know, when I lived in Kentucky, I remember there was an old lady who had served her church there for decades. And one day I came into the church actually to do some work and I hear this rustling going on at the sink. And I and I peek my head in to look and I see her there and she's washing all these Legos one brick at a time by hand. And I, I say to her, do you do this every And she's startled, right? She's like, I, I didn't know anyone was here. And I said, yeah. I said, do you, do you do this actually every week? You know, she's like, well, well, no, not every week. And I'm like, okay, you're the one who basically keeps this place clean, aren't you? You've been doing this actually for years. And I remember looking at her and thinking to myself, you know, as I talked to her, how, how, how can you do this? And, you know, I didn't know that actually about her. She had never gone out of her way to tell people, never gone out of her way to recruit help, but did this actually just for the children of the church. These little Lego bricks, at, you know, Duplo things that will be slobbered on the next week and need to be cleaned whatsoever, and she would have to do all of her work over and over again, and yet did it with joy in her heart because she was serving the Lord Jesus Christ. She would always tell me, she said, it's a blessing to be able to serve. Joy in her father, who saw her in secret, You know how pleased God is with that? You know, my question for you is that, is that you today? Maybe that's actually you in your life right now. You're actually at a stage in your life in which you're serving a family member, you're serving small children, you're serving a neighbor, you're serving people, others who actually can't repay you, or nobody else sees your work. You clean, you cook, you take care of kids, you do all these things. And I ask you, why do you do it? Do you do it because it's your Christian duty? Do you do it because it's like the Asian restaurant fighting over the bill thing because you want other people to think you're generous? Or do you do it because you have joy in your heart knowing that Jesus did this for you and that it's your joy and and your happiness to be able to do the same thing for others? Why do you do what you do? You know, those of you who are moms here today and you're listening to this and you're probably at home right now, actually in the service, and you are watching your kids. And after this, you're going to go change another diaper. You're going to go clean up puke. You're going to go do the same things that you've done every day. And you will have the same complaints around your table. Do we have to eat this? You know, and I was, you know, very, very little gratefulness for you. Do you do what you do, knowing that your heavenly father looks at you and he smiles on you, even as you have to wash your hands for the 10,000th time and to clean again for the one millionth time, clean up the same thing. Do you realize that God sees you even right now and that it's not wasted? There are those those of you who use your businesses for the good of the church and for Christians around you. There are those of you who have read resumes, and you've done kind things for people, filling out applications and things for them. You've sent money to people who are overseas, your relatives. Some of you have bought things actually for others who have, who have great needs. Others of you have taken up caring for other children in the pre-COVID days and so on and watching them. Others of you have fixed doors and locks here at the church. Others have gone over the financials. Nobody sees your work. Nobody is going to praise you for that. But hear me, if you've done what you've done, not because there's grumbling in your heart, but because this is the little gift that God has given you and you are exercising it to the full, know then that your master is pleased. Though you may not see or the praise come from the lips of other people, by no means have you lost your reward in heaven. And your father in heaven has promised you that he will reward you. And at the resurrection of the just, he will repay. Do you know how you can serve people without feeling like you need to collect things from them or to get praise from their service. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ frees you to do so. Only the gospel, if you understand that you are redeemed by grace and you have been saved by your sins and that God paid it all for you, only then will you be able to look at another person and say, I don't need anything from you. My worth and my value is in Jesus alone. I am his child. Nothing you can do to me will take away from that or add to it. I serve you out of reverence to my God and out of delight and joy in my heart because I know that whether you like it or not, my master is pleased with me. I don't need a thing from you. I just want to serve out of honor and reverence for my Lord. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ frees you to be able to give without expecting or demanding that you receive something in return. Do you want to be a free person today? And you struggle with this right now. Maybe your position in life, you're not a Christian here, you're listening to this right now, and you're struggling with giving because it's so hard. There are people who don't think much of you, and you have so little now in your life because you have given. You know what I mean? And you feel resentment. The gospel says to you today, you want to be free, come to me. Come to Jesus. Take my gift. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins and have a new life that is found only in Christ. That's the hope that the gospel offers us today. Brothers and sisters, those of you around us, where has God placed you right now? And my question for you is, as you serve those who are thankless, can you find joy even as you give, not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing, knowing that your Father's good pleasure is ultimately what will satisfy your soul? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much, God, for loving us and sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Father, we have spoken today about giving in secret and the motives of the heart. And I just ask, God, if there be any of these wrong motives in our soul that we will repent, O God, and turn back to you and give in secret so that our master, O God, can be glorified. Help us, O God, not to steal praise and glory that is due your name, but to honor Christ in all that we say and all that we do. Help us, God, to be complete and perfect people who are mature on the inside and clean on the outside as well. So, Father, thank you for your word that penetrates so deeply into our souls. Mold us to be more like Jesus, O God, who gave with his mind set on the glory of God and not on his own personal gain. So we praise you, O God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.